for every earthly responsibility we face on earth. This Bible presents the heavenly perspective. Welcome to Air Jerem. This program is written by Dr. Jim Sisi and produced by Global Radio Ministries and Jaron Ministries International. Today's program is part two of Dr. Sisi's message entitled, Keeping Our Heavenly Focus, part of our ongoing study of Colossians. In the last program, Dr. Sisi examined the first verse of Colossians chapter three. There the apostle Paul instructs Christians that because of the new identity and purpose they have in Christ, they are to seek the things above. Here's Dr. Sisi again, starting in Colossians 3, verse 2. Now go back to Colossians 3. Response number 2 is related to number 1, to not just keep seeking, but to keep setting our mind on things above. You see it there in verse 2? Set your minds on things above and not on the things on the earth. And it sounds like he's being redundant, but he's not. This time, instead of using the Greek word synagairo, he uses the word phrenao there. And, and it's a word that, that, that means to keep focusing. To not just seek, but to set your mind on it. Oh, we all seek, especially when we're desperate, don't we? I'm seeking the Lord today, but what about tomorrow? He doesn't just say seek. He says seek and set. Look and linger. There's a difference. Oh, looking just gets us in. Lingering keeps us there. To keep focusing our complete attention on the things above. And you say, what, how? I want to tell you what I'm afraid of for this message today is that, is that, you know, I'm going to be so, uh, sublime and, and surreal and, somewhat even, you know, ethereal, that, you know, we're going to have our heads so far in heaven that we're no earthly good. You're going to walk out here and you left your lights on, and your battery is going to go, hur, 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 and you're going to, what did the message have to do with that? Answer everything. Paul's not calling us to join some monastery and grow zucchini as we contemplate God. But we all need some seasons of quiet because like yours, my life is just too noisy. And it's not just externally imposed noise. It's internally imposed noise. And that's why I've got to spend that hour with the Lord in the morning. Why? Because I need it. I need that quiet. But He's not calling us to ignore earthly responsibilities. He called us to be in the world, but not of the world. And so where does weeding the lawn or taking a nap when you've got a pile of things to do? Where does the everyday affair of life fit in with all that seeking and focusing stuff? It requires that you know the book. Because you will not be able to do what Paul is saying we must do without being a man or a woman of the Word of God. It will not work. And let me show you why. For every earthly responsibility we face on this earth, this Bible presents the heavenly perspective. In other words, there are earthly realities, an earthly responsibility, but there's a heavenly perspective. I want to give you some examples from my own life. I want to give you some illustrations that you can then take on and move into your own list. And I want to talk about them like there were two columns. 
you know, with earthly responsibilities, the things on earth on one side and the heavenly perspectives, the things above on the other. Earthly realities, here's heaven's perspective. For example, let's talk about a very obvious earthly reality regarding seeking food, clothing, and shelter. We all needed to do that. You all are dressed. Thank you. I'm sure you all ate something in the last month. Thank you. And I'm sure you had some shelter last night. Praise the Lord. That's the earthly reality. But the heavenly perspective Jesus presented in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It means that the way we do those things, the way we shop for food, the way we wear our clothes, the way we build our homes, we keep in mind a heavenly perspective on that. Of asking the question, what would Jesus eat? Where would Jesus sleep? What would Jesus wear? That's a heavenly perspective on an earthly reality. He cares. And I could go on and on. But secondly, as regards to spending money, another common reality for all of us, right? And again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6.20 that we are to store up treasure in heaven where rusts and moths can't get to them. In other words, he would call us to spend our money wisely on the things that matter to God. That's a heavenly perspective on an earthly reality. And you know as well as I, as you look at the timeline of your life, that God often uses finances to get our attention on heaven. You read the book of James, where he talks about the poor being rich in faith, because they have to pray for that next meal. Thirdly, as we're doing, regarding doing our jobs, another painful earthly reality. But again, surrounded by heavenly principles. Later on in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, we're going to be looking at Paul's commands to do our work as unto the Lord, reminding us that it is not our employer that we work for, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, our highest priority in the workplace is pleasing Him. And number four is regarding worrying about the future. A pretty common reality for many of us. And once again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, don't worry about tomorrow, today's got enough trouble of its own. If you can care for the sparrows, he can take care of you. Heavenly perspective on truly earthly realities. Students, let's talk about studying. Certainly a painful earthly reality for all of you. I'm not worried about politically whether there's prayer in school. As long as there are exams, there will be prayer in school. But let me remind you of a heavenly perspective on your studies. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, The endless devotion to books is wearying to the bones, but masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. Your highest priority in school is not to get an education, get a career, or get a degree. Your highest priority in your education is to be drawn to the Word of God. So you can give answer to teachers who are not teaching what is consistent with this. So you can get out there in the world and be an example of godliness, of men and women who are like well-driven nails, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And parents, I say to you, 
That if your concern is most about your kid's career, their degree, or the college that they go to, and you've not equipped them with the Word of God, then don't be surprised if you lose their spiritual hearts. Don't get me preaching on that. Number six, regarding trials and suffering. Another common earthly reality. And yet you know Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The trials make us better. They don't have to make us bitter. Romans 8.18, that the sufferings of this present day are nothing compared to the glory that will come as a result of them. I was reading this morning James chapter 1, verse 2, that says, What counted all joy? Not if, but when you encounter various, in fact, the Greek word is variegated troubles. They come in all shapes and sizes. Rightly allowed by God to produce in you and me hupomone and endurance. That's a heavenly perspective. Or even regarding our death, the ultimate earthly reality. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, that talks about born-again believers that experience no sting of death. Why? Because death has been swallowed up in the victory of the risen Christ whose resurrection guarantees ours. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that to be absent from this body is to be immediately at home with the Lord. That's setting your minds on earthly things. No, that's setting your mind on heavenly things in the midst of the earthly thing called death. And I could go on and on and on. If you don't do this assignment, how are you going to survive the next chapter in your life? I don't know what you're facing. Could you imagine me taking a microphone and identifying all the things that you and I face in a crowd this size and then go on and on to our radio audience and the other listening audiences? Wow. But for everything you're facing on earth, there's a heavenly perspective in accordance with that. And that's Paul's point. That when we're reminded of who we are in Christ and when we take the responsibility to seek and think about things above, that our whole lives come into proper focus and it affects our earthly actions. And that's the essence of living the resurrected life. That's what he means by that. But then he tells us the why. Why we need to live with our minds focused on heavenly realities, the reasons. Number one, because we've died. You see it there in verse 3? And he uses the word apothenesco there, and it's a fascinating word because he's pointing to the, the, the point of our salvation when we died. We, we died. We became new creatures. The old self was crucified. And in essence, Paul is saying this, and I allude to it later on in chapter 3, that there are basically two kinds of people in the world. The first are unbelievers who are alive to the world but dead to the things of God. Secondly, are believers who are dead to the world but alive to things of God. I was preaching in Arizona and uh, there was a pastor there who uh, spoke and he also shared in uh, Larry Deskins at First Baptist Church of Gilbert, Arizona. And, uh, and I've not met him since, but it just was a great comment as he's pointing out the difference in perspectives regarding the earth. And listen to what he said. He said, to the unbeliever who has nothing to look forward to, this earth is as close to heaven as he'll ever get. But then he said this, to the believer who has everything to look forward to, this earth is as close to hell as they'll ever get. Isn't that great? Folks, you're looking at a dead man. And by the way, this auditorium is filled with dead people. For you have died, he says, and 
I've been a pastor for 40 years. Let me tell you, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been with a lot of dead people. Let me tell you something about dead people. Dead people don't worry about earthly things. I've never done a funeral with a casket in the front and a storage trailer behind it. I've never done a funeral where I had to wonder if the guy has his checkbook or his credit cards or money in his pocket. Shrouds have no pockets. Caskets need no U-Haul trailers. They don't worry about earthly things. Secondly, dead people don't respond to outside pressure. You can't tempt a corpse. Oh, you can try, but there will be no response. And we need never be enslaved to sin again because we're dead, which brings us to the next point. Dead people are free from the enslavement. And when Paul says we're dead, he's saying that we died to the penalty of sin in our lives. Even though the wage of sin is spiritual death, listen to me, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say praise the Lord today. And we died to the need to live by the world's values. Well, we may act like the world, but we don't belong here because our citizenship is in heaven. You know why? Because we're aliens. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We don't belong here. Reason number two is that our lives are hidden with Christ. You see it in verse three? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he uses the Greek word krupto there. It's in the perfect tense, in the passive voice. And you say, well, so what? It means that we were hidden by God at the moment of our conversion, but it has lifelong results even into eternity. Now, I want you to understand something. You say, from whom or what are we hidden? That's a really profound question. The answer is unbelievers. How many of you have ever been in a stadium full of people? Raise your hands. I was watching last night's game. And toward the end of it, they panned the audience. And I want to tell you something. There wasn't one born-again believer in the auditorium. Oh, maybe there was thousands. But how would I know by looking at them? Now, I know that some of our church members were there. But the believers didn't have this big old red light on them, on the top of them, flashing and sounding of music. You know, this little light of mine. I'm looking on this auditorium. I know some of you, so I know what your faith in Christ is about. But if I didn't know you, how would I know? You're hidden. It's not like the moment that you accept Christ, there's suddenly this Shekinah glory that surrounds you and everybody goes, Look at that Christian. Oh, there are things that show, John 13, 35, but they shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, oh, that, that shows, but, but the unbelieving world will never see all the fullness of Christ in us. All the privileges that we have. We are hidden from them. We are members of an invisible spiritual kingdom. Just as Christ's life was a mystery to those who lived with Him in the first century, so our lives are a mystery. Some of you are a real mystery to your family, to your friends. 
But Paul would also under, have us understand that we won't always be hidden. Look at reason number three. We'll be revealed with Christ. He said, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. He doesn't say if, but when. How many believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? Will you raise your hand? And we're talking about the second coming here when he will be fully displayed. And that's why Paul uses the word phanerao there. This is not the rapture. Only some will see and the dead in Christ will rise. But the second coming of Christ, when he'll come back, put his feet right back on the earth. And all will see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if I could take you to the Revelation chapter 19, to what is the book of revealings, that not you will see that not only is Christ going to be revealed, but you and I will be revealed. Let me take the time to read it. And I saw heaven opened up, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, that's us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, we're following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh is a name written. Do it with me, everybody. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again. He's going to be revealed. And guess what, folks? We will be revealed to the world with him. Are you happy about that? Lightfoot again writes this. He said, The veil which now shrouds your higher life from others and even partly from yourselves will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores now will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. And again you ask, So what? My boss is going to let me go this week. I got some bad news from the doctor this month. They're going to foreclose on my house. My marriage isn't doing well. Well, listen to Paul's words in Philippians. Verse 20 and chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, when he said, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. You blitz through the Bible and you run to passages like 1 Peter 4.13 where Peter says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Why? So that also at the revelation of His glory, His coming and your coming back, you may rejoice with exultation. And what Paul said in his very last will and testament, a few months before he's beheaded, he writes to Timothy these words, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. First, Second Timothy 4, 8. And I really thought about issuing us all a sign we could put around our necks that said, the earth is not my home. 
or at least give you a name tag that says just visiting. You know, I don't belong here. And as we face the challenges of life, I want to share with you a word that was given to me when I was a brand new believer. Facing all the challenges of a new believer, all the challenges of a single young man, all the challenges of life, even in the 1970s. When a gentleman came up to me and he looked at me, he said, Son, keep looking up. That's where he's coming from. Amen? And we can keep looking up because we've died. Our lives are hidden with Christ and we'll be revealed to the whole world when Christ comes in glory. But that's not all. Let me tell you another reason why we can keep seeking, keep focusing on things above. And that's number four, because Christ is our life. I love this. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. And we know if we read John's Gospels and John's Epistle, that it says that Jesus is the giver of life. But He's more than that. Colossians 3 says He is our life. And once again, what does that mean? It's great to talk about that. What does it mean? Christ is my life. And I'm reminded of the second chapter of Galatians, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Christ is my life. Say it with me. Christ is my life. What does that mean to us? It means He is the creator of my biological life. He's the giver of my eternal life. He's the source of my changed life. He's the hope of my abundant life, and He's the guarantee of my future life. And that's why Paul will say here in chapter 3, in the first part, in verse 4 there, Christ is my life. Later on, he'll elaborate and say, and Christ is all and in all. Let me put it together for you. Here's what Paul would say to you. He'd first ask you, give me your pile. Give me your pile of stuff. Your stuff you're facing on earth. And then he would say, we have been raised with Christ. We have died. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. Christ is coming back. And we're coming back with Him. Therefore, we are to keep seeking things above where Christ is. We're to be setting our hearts on things above. And we're not to set our minds on earthly things. Heavenly focus on truly earthly realities. Nobody's denying the pain of planet Earth. There's an old fable about the moon that complained to the sun during an eclipse. The moon asked the sun, why are you not shining as you always do? The sun replies, I am shining. You just can't see me because the Earth has gotten between us. Whenever I hear that story, I think of the song we sang last week. That old hymn of the faith, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would take this simple passage. So profound, so impactful, and that your Holy Spirit would illumine and make it practical in each of our lives as we face our earthly realities. Lord, we know the theology that we've been raised with Christ and we've died and we're hidden with Christ and God and that you, Lord Jesus, are our life, that you're coming back and we're going to be coming with you. But, oh God, we need you to help us 
to keep seeking the things above. To set our minds on you. And so, Father, we lay ourselves afresh before you and we ask that you would keep our focus throughout these days. In Jesus' name. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strange in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, so. Turn Your Eyes in a New Style by artist Lauren Daigle. 
a reminder, like today's message, to keep our focus on God in the midst of our earthly problems. Tune in next time to Air Jaren as we continue our study of Colossians with Dr. Cece. Thanks for listening.